Um, but it's good to see you guys. It's good to be here. Uh, it's good to be with you. And I do want to share a word for us today. Um, you know, we're such, living in such a time where day to day, week to week, we're not sure uh, you know, if there's going to be a new law that comes out or if they're going to uh, bring the lockdown back down or if they're going to open it back up again. Um, and there's so much uh, pulling us this way and that and so many political, so much political drama and so many things on the internet and on Facebook and, and on YouTube, except for not us, we're not on YouTube, but um, <laughs> there's so many other things on YouTube. And um, this week I just had the, uh, the joy of spending time in Scripture. You know, we have here a, a word, a rock that is steady throughout generations, throughout seasons of life, in our own personal lives, when we go through crisis um, or in the turmoil that we find ourselves in in this world, the word of God is steady, is consistent. And if you need something to ground you in this life, I really, really encourage you to spend some time in the word, spend some time in the word. We have um, July reading plans. If you do our reading plan with us, we go through the Bible in a year. I think you go through um, Psalms twice, and then you go through the, the rest of the Bible once. Um, we've been using it for devotions and stuff like that. So there are orange um, plans up here for the month of July. Please take one. Get it in you and, uh, and grab it. Okay, but today we're going to be talking about heaven. Oh, I like talking about heaven. Are you excited about heaven? Amen. Man, it seems like the more I see what's in this world, the more excited I am about heaven. I tell you what, uh, there's so much to be said about about the wonders of heaven, about that experience. And sometimes it feels so far away from us, am I right? Sometimes it feels so far away from us. I read in Revelation 21 about God wiping the tears away from every person, like a mother comforting her child and and wiping away their tears. God is going to wipe away our tears. Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians that really encouraging words, where he says that the dead in Christ will rise first and then we will join them in the air. And we'll be able to experience fellowship with those that we have not seen uh, before or those that we have left behind. I'm going to get to see my grandparents again. Some people have children waiting for them in heaven. Uh, Other people have parents waiting for them. Some people have spouses waiting for them in heaven. And it's going to be glorious to see them and be with them. It's going to be wonderful. They're hidden from us right now but we get to see them face to face. There's no joy or pleasure here on earth that's going to be able to compete with heaven. And the older that I get, the more that I realize that, that visions of heaven that we've talked about, sometimes even in the church, uh, that describe mansions and crowns and jewels, they fail to capture my desire, I'll be honest with you. They appeal to my greed on some level, right? Heaven's going to be a big party. You're going to get a lot of stuff. Honestly, you can keep your party. I'm not interested in that. I, I want to see my loved ones again. I want to see the people that I've, I've lost. I want to hug them. I want to listen to them talk. I want to talk to them about life and about, about God and about everything. God, if you can deliver on that one promise. Lord, if you can deliver on that one promise, then you can keep everything else. I, I don't want any crowns or any jewels or any mansions. Lord, if you just give me that, I'll, I'll be happy. So happy for eternity and forever grateful. Lord, would you come and speak to us by your word? 
as we look into the perfect word, Lord, which is your son, and this, the testimony about your son. We ask that you'd open our eyes and our ears to receive what you have for us today. Keep heaven, Lord, in our minds. Heaven is sometimes so precious that you don't even want to talk about it very much, right? It's sort of like a dream that you have that's so wonderful. But then when you go to describe it to somebody, it just it loses its, its luster as you're using words to describe it. That's kind of like what heaven is for me. I don't, sometimes I don't even like to talk about it very much because it's so, it has so much meaning for me that I can't properly convey it to other people. Words can never do justice to it. And these thoughts make me think that Jesus must have been very naive when he told his disciples to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Very naive thought, I think, Jesus. You just you didn't understand maybe the world, right? Because how could earth be like heaven? How could earth possibly compare to heaven? How could what is in heaven ever possibly compare or come to, come close to that which is on earth? When Jesus came to earth, he came not only as God-man, not only as God in human flesh, he came as an ambassador of heaven. He came bringing with him gifts from heaven. Every time he healed a sick person, every time he comforted somebody, every time he stood up for somebody else, he was giving us a demonstration. He was showing us something. He was showing us a picture of heaven where there's no disease and there's no death. He was showing us that. If you want to know what heaven is like, go read the Gospels. You don't have to go to Revelation. You don't have to go to the apocalyptic books. Read the Gospels and look what Jesus is doing. Watch him. Watch what he does. That's Jesus giving you a glimpse of what heaven is like, where with a word he heals people and and he raises people from the dead and he has complete control over life and death. That's heaven. That's a picture of heaven. I see it all the time, even here today. When people, and I see them, and they love when they could be hating somebody. Right? Whenever a Christian forgives somebody for some offense and doesn't hold it against them. I remember um, before I was married, uh, you know, I was living in a small parsonage in Seattle, and it was me and a great friend of mine named Ben Rice, and uh, he's come before to this church, and he's just a great friend, and he was my best man at my wedding, and it was coming close to the wedding, and, and I, was, I was doing so many things at the time, and I realized one thing I'd forgotten to think about was, after we get married, where are we going to live? <laughs> That's kind of a big question, but I had, I had so many other things in my life, I hadn't even thought about it, so I started researching, you know, um, houses or apartments or, you know, that kind of thing. I'm going to be married to this woman. And all of a sudden, you know, we can't live in the street. We got to find some place. And I couldn't find any place, not any place that was affordable anyways. And I remember being in the office and I had told Ben, you know, my roommate about uh, all of this and um, just sort of like how frustrating it was and how difficult it was. And he, I remember he came to me and I was in my little, I had this tiny little office in, the, in their office on the campus of the church. And he came in and he said, Stephen, uh, I just want you to know that God told me I need to move out so that you guys can have the parsonage of the church. And it was, it was such a selfless act. And Ben's going to watch this and he's going to be all embarrassed about it. That's all right. I love you, Ben. 
It was such a selfless act. It was like, it was like watching heaven unfold, where somebody who had every right to say, you know, I live here just as much as you do, and I don't want to have to figure it out on my own. Willingly, voluntarily, without me even suggesting or asking or anything like that, decided to do something selfless. That is such a blessing. It's such a wonderful thing. We get to see heaven breaking through. I don't know if you've experienced something like that, where you've been able to offer forgiveness for something that is so deep and traumatic but you do it under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's heaven breaking through on earth. That's heaven coming to earth. I love that. I want to see more of that. You want to see more of that? I want to see more of heaven breaking through on earth. I'm tired of just this earth. I want to see heaven breaking through. So we're going to, we're going to look now in Revelation. I'm going to look at one passage in Revelation. So open up your Bibles if you've got a Bible with you. Revelation chapter 7. Open them up. We're going to be handling just a few verses here in chapter 7 of Revelation. John, one of Jesus' disciples, has this incredible vision of heaven. He gets to glimpse it. He gets to see all of it. And it's full of, uh, ooh, it's full of rich uh, imagery. And sometimes it can be a bit confusing to people uh, to read through the book of Revelation. I understand that. Um, but we're just going to look at one particular scene, one particular part where John gets a glimpse of heaven. And this is I'm going to read Revelation 7, 9 through 12. This is what it says. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels who were standing around the throne and all the elders and around the elders and the four living creatures, they all fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and honor and thanks and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 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 Now we've been talking about in this, la- in this series that we've been in, and, and, and I tend to wrap it up today, We've been talking about reconciling the world to God and what it means to be reconcilers within our own contexts, within our own cities and communities and within our own families even, what it means to reconcile people to God. We need some reconciliation, amen. And here in Revelation, we get a glimpse of heaven. And it says that surrounding the throne of the Lord, there are many crowds, many crowds of people, multitude of people, so many that you could never count them. And what does it say? It says, John writes, these people come from every, and if you want to, if you have a Bible, and, and you, I give you permission to cross out the word which is oftentimes translated as every nation. That's not that word, actually. In Greek, the word is ethnos. Ethnos. And it's where we get the word ethnicity from. From every ethnicity. E-T-H-N-I-C. I-T-Y, ethnicity. From every ethnicity, from every tribe, from every people, from every language. Every ethnicity, every tribe, every people, every language. Isn't that beautiful? And you know what I love about that particular picture of heaven? It's not that we're all there and there's so many different kinds of people there. You know what I love about the most? I love that what it's describing 
is the uniqueness of humanity. We don't shed our ethnicity, our language, our people when we go to heaven. We keep all of those things. Did you know that? We keep them all. We keep our specific language, our specific social uh, life in a sense, our specific culture, our specific heritage. It doesn't get erased. I'm going to be me. I get to keep my own ethnic heritage in heaven. I'm going to speak English. I don't lose my identity. This is a major difference between Christianity and Buddhism. In Buddhism, the goal is to lose yourself in the vastness of humanity, to, to be absorbed into the vastness of, of existence. In Christianity, the goal is to find yourself in Christ. Not to lose yourself in that sense, but to find yourself in Christ. To find your whole identity in him. To find who you are in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not about shedding who you are and denying who you are. It's about finding who you are in Christ. You bring your whole self into the kingdom of God. I'm excited when I hear about people worshiping God and experiencing God from the place of their own ethnic and cultural heritage. I love uh, going last year, we went to a powwow down in, over in Salem, which was put on by um, a coalition of Christian Native Americans. Um, and it was great listening to the drum circles, watching the dancers. I didn't understand what they were saying. But you know what? They weren't talking to me. They were talking to God. And God understood what they were saying. Sometimes I think we get a little too hung up on what exactly the words mean. We're talking to God. It doesn't really matter. You don't need to know. If I was talking to you, I would talk like this. But I'm not. I'm talking to God. We're going to see some drum circles in heaven. Hallelujah. We get to stay who we are. And it's important to say that. It's important to admit that. When I was at Fuller uh, Seminary down in Pasadena, uh, there was a uh, professor there uh, who was a great professor. He told a story. He was uh, Puerto Rican, and he told a story of how a missionary came when he was young and was uh, you know, preaching to, to him and, and his family and his church there in Puerto Rico and describing heaven. And uh, some people had some questions about uh, what, what it would mean to be Puerto Rican, you know, in heaven. And the missionary said to them, well, don't, you don't have to worry about that because once you get to heaven, you'll be white. Because everybody just turns white when they get to heaven. <laughs> it's unfortunate because, I, and I'm not really honestly concerned about that particular very inaccurate view of this particular missionary. I'm not really concerned about that. I'm concerned about the circumstances that led him to accept that that was reality. Who was in his home church? Who, who did he listen to preaching? What sort of Bible studies did he go to? How did he read his Bible? Who taught him? How is it that we formed this Christian, this missionary? We, we did it. I mean, the church, not us specifically, but the church, we formed this person and then sent them out. Missionaries are not the... You know, it's not the new believers who are missionaries. They are people who have been built up in the church and, and have received an education and which the church gets behind them and sends them. These are leaders. How did we send a leader out there that had that sort of perspective? That's worrisome to me. As a pastor, that's worrisome to me. That should be worrisome to us. Because it's not true. Because it destroys people. 
Every person, every ethnicity, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne, worshiping the Lord. And here in our passage in in chapter 7, in verse 9, it says that they are wearing white robes. This signifies purity. And that they're holding palm branches. Now that's something that we might jump over a little bit easy because it's kind of a weird thing. People don't really hold palm branches nowadays. But would you like to know what that means? Holding palm branches, palm branches in the first century when John is writing this. For Jews, palm branches signify victory. They signify overcoming. In fact, it was the national symbol during the Jewish revolt against, uh, during the Maccabean revolt, which, which eventually led to a period of Jewish independence, that was their symbol that they painted on uh, shields and on banners. It was a palm branch. Was that on their money too? Uh, yes, on the money issued by the temple, yes. They had palm branches to signify victory, to signify overcoming. Would you like to see some victory over division in this world? I'm ready to see some victory over division. I'm ready to be set free from the powers of this world. I'm ready to see victory. Victory in our communities, victory in our government, victory in our land. Not over any particular person, but over injustice, over division, over chaos, over sin, over destruction, over death. I'm ready to see some victory in those things. Church, look at what these saints are doing. They're worshiping. They're worshiping. If we want to see victory in these things, we overcome through worship. We worship to overcome. And there's three ways that worship brings victory in our lives and in our communities. The first one is that when we worship, we shift our focus from us onto Jesus. Our focus shifts from us onto Jesus. I become less and Christ becomes more. When I'm truly worshiping Jesus, it doesn't matter if I'm singing in Spanish or Swahili or a spiritual language or my native language, because it's not about me. I'm shifting my attention from myself onto Jesus. The way the prejudice works is it focuses all of your energy inwards. My people, my language, my power, my place, my privilege, my community. Not theirs, but mine. Worship overcomes prejudice because it shifts my attention. Salvation belongs to our God, says these worshipers. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lord. Racism, prejudice, all these things are about self-glorification. Worship is about God-glorification. The primacy of Christ becomes our sole concern. Like Peter On the Sea of Galilee, we fix our gaze on Jesus while the world around us is chaotic. We're able to stand on the water, overcome the chaos because our eyes are fixed on Jesus. There are so many voices right now vying for your attention, church. Your attention is precious to them. They want you. They beckon you. They entice you in. They capture you with hooks. They want your attention. When you start to look at the chaos of this world, at the extreme divisions, at the sin, 
we begin to sink into it and it begins to overcome us. If we want to overcome this world, we have to keep our gaze fixed on Jesus. And that's why worship is so important. We sang two songs in Spanish today. I, I know that some of that might be challenging to some people. I realize that. I appreciate your patience and I appreciate your doing it. But I want you to know why we do it. We sing it in other languages because we're intentionally decentralizing ourselves and putting Christ at the center. It ceases to become about you. It can't possibly be about you because you don't know what you're saying. So it can't possibly be about you. So it's either about Jesus or it's not about anybody at all. It forces us to focus on Jesus. Friend, if you can only worship God in your own language, then worship is more about you than it is about God. That's why we do it. It's good for your souls. It humbles you. It's good for your souls. We need to shift our focus away from ourselves and onto Christ. So the second way that worship overcomes is it reminds me of who I am. Do you remember high school? Do you remember, do you remember high school? Do you remember cliques? You had your own little group of friends. You had your own clique, you know. In my high school, you had the drama kids, you had the band kids, you had the athletes, you had the druggies, you had the heads, right? You had the heads. Okay, I got it. Each with its circle of friends. You know why high schoolers do that, why they have a close circle themselves? Because they're desperately trying to define themselves. They're desperately trying to discover who they are. They crave a sense of togetherness, right? Because they're not quite secure in their own identity yet. So they need a bit of insulation around them. They surround themselves with like-minded people because to put yourself into a situation with people that you don't quite know or people that you're not quite in agreement with is a threat to their own identity. They haven't quite figured out themselves yet, so they need to insulate themselves. It's the same reason why we have division in the church because we're insecure in our, in our own identity. We're immature in our faith. So everything that's unfamiliar to us becomes a threat to us. Worship reminds us of who we are. Here, the worshipers in verse 10 says, Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God. When we worship, we remind ourselves that we are children of God. Every one of us. And we can be secure in the knowledge of the salvation of our God. Friends, there's no trial, there's no virus, there's no financial debt or sickness or obstacle that cannot be overcome by our Heavenly Father in this life or the next life. And you are a child of God. You are a child of God. Finally, Worship helps us overcome because it shifts our focus on Jesus because it reminds us of who we are. And the thirdly, worship overcomes by initiating the kingdom of God. By initiating the kingdom of God. When we worship, when we come into the presence of God, we get a glimpse of the throne room, which John is describing here. That picture, that, that image of heaven, of all those people, Worshiping God together. 
It begins to invade our spiritual lives. It begins to invade our physical realities. It becomes a vision vision like uh, somebody on a boat that needs to steer towards a lighthouse or steer towards a particular star. Worship helps us to orient and then to move so that the kingdom of God begins to express itself through our reality. There's no clearer picture of reconciliation than the cross where Jesus died so that you might be reconciled to the Father. There's no greater reconciliation than that. In fact, I would say and I would argue, I've spent a lot of time talking and thinking and writing and reading about things like reconciliation, especially racial reconciliation, but I would still argue that the cross is the only place where you'll ever be able to experience true reconciliation. Because it's the only place where the root issue is dealt with. Murders by police officers, riots, racism, unrest, division are only symptoms of a deeper problem, of a spiritual problem, and that is sin. And because the cross is the only place where God deals with the root of the issue, it's the only place where true reconciliation can occur. But we have allowed this truth to become twisted in our hands. So we say, oh, well, it's only the cross that provides for reconciliation. So we don't have to, for example, remove Confederate statues or take affirmative action or protest against injustice because it's only the cross that can do those things. Let me tell you something. If somebody was addicted to crack cocaine, you knew somebody was addicted to crack, right? And they came to you and said, what should I do? I need some help. And you would say to them, you've got to go to Jesus, man. You've got to be set free from this addiction. You need to come to the feet of Jesus. You need to surrender your life. You need to come underneath the authority of Jesus. And the person says, well, can I keep on doing crack? You say, no! No, you can't keep on doing crack. You can't come to the feet of Jesus with your crack pipe. You gotta lay that down, right? Guess what? Glorifying slavery or those who endorsed it, those who honored it, or those who promoted it is not doing the work of reconciliation. So if you wanna fly your Confederate flag and you wanna make some excuse like, well, it's only at the foot of the cross that we find reconciliation, so I don't have to bother about this Confederate flag. You better be prepared because when you come to Jesus, the first thing he's going to say is take down your flag. Stop doing crack. I have no sympathy for the Confederate statues in this country. And by the way, I have family that served on both sides of that particular conflict. Family that came from the Nashville Regiment and the Virginia Militia and family that came from the New York Regiment and from the Illinois Militia. I have family that fought on both sides. I have no Absolutely no sympathy for the, Confederate cause, for the Confederate cause. And those who defend it today are either ignorant of what it was all about or they've simply got their heels dug in the ground so deep they refuse to budge. I'm telling you. <laughs> Jesus would not suffer for you to build a monument for the destruction of other people's lives. He would not suffer for that. We want to make it all about Jesus, that's fine. What do you think Jesus would do? What do you think he would do? Would he say, all right, well, that's fine, because even though they destroyed so many lives, I realize it's a part of history. So we need to honor history. Friends, we have history books that honor history. That's fine. We don't need to honor in our public places. I'm getting off my soapbox there. No, I'm not, because I'm preaching. I'm going to stay on my soapbox. (laughs) It is not good. It is not good 
to say, oh God, bring reconciliation, oh God, bring reconciliation, while we continue to harm the efforts that God is bringing about by the actions or inactions that we introduce into this world. Somebody says, I want to be reconciled to my family members, but I refuse to talk to them. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not how it works. God's going to bring reconciliation. You have to have a soft heart and start doing something about it. I want God to get me on track financially, but I don't want to have a budget. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not how it works. Let's trust God with your budget, but let's be prepared. I want to see racial reconciliation, but I don't want anything to change. Well, I'm sorry, that's not how it works. You want God to bring it, you better be prepared to deal with it. Hmm. Mm-mm-mm. We need a clear vision. We need a glimpse, a clear glimpse of heaven, of reconciliation. That's what we find here in Revelation 7, a clear glimpse, a clear image of what that looks like. It gives you something to steer towards, right? It gives you a vision to move towards. Worship puts that vision at our central place. It's the throne room of God. The night before he was betrayed and murdered, Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech in Memphis, and these were his final public words, the last paragraph of the last speech the man ever gave in public. This is what he says. He says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me anymore because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. God gave Martin a glimpse of heaven. And it was that glimpse, it was that dream, it was that vision that began to break into the world around him. It began to manifest itself in our reality. We need to go up to the mountain. We need a vision of heaven. We need to capture that vision for the future. Capture that vision for our own lives and our own communities. We need to see it. We need to recognize it. We need to know that the things, the wrongs of the past can be undone. We need to know that God is bigger. We need to know that even if we had to tear this society down to its bare roots, that God could build it back up again. Jesus said, even if you destroyed this temple, I tell you in three days, I could raise it back up again. There's nothing that sin can destroy that the Lord can't raise back up again. Young people are saying, I want my life to mean something. I want to have a purpose in life. And older people are saying, I want to leave something for those behind me. We need to climb the mountain of the Lord. We need to enter into his presence and receive a vision for the future. We need to see the glory of the coming of the Lord, to fall down before his throne and say praise and glory and honor and wisdom and thanks and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. We need to enter into the presence of God. We're going to sing a song. Can we sing a song?
I feel like we need to worship. We've got a song here. This is Holy, Holy, Holy. It's a famous song. Everybody knows this song. Would you sing this song with us? Would you put those words up there, Debbie? We're going to sing this together. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Next verse. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eyes of sinful man thy glory may not see. Only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, love and purity. Next verse. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And then one of the elders asked me, these in the white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the, before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tent out over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor the scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. I'm not going to wait to heaven. I'm not going to wait till I get to heaven to experience it. Brothers and sisters, you have been equipped with the ministry of reconciliation. This is your prerogative. This is your duty. You are the vanguards of justice for this world. You are, and nobody else. And you may look around and say, my goodness, God has bet on the wrong horse. How could he have let us be in charge of this? 
Beloved, it's according to his good mercy that nobody would ever be able to say, oh, it was because they were so great or it was because they were so wonderful or it's because they were so articulate or so powerful that they were able to overcome and bring justice. No, that's how the world brings justice, friends. That's how the world brings justice. We bring justice by the Spirit of God through poverty, through love and forgiveness, through mercy and kindness, through gentleness. We're just like our Jesus, aren't we? Who didn't appear with a big triumphant entry. He came in a stable, a manger. And when he lived his life, he didn't appear before kings and rally and and try to get the support of the people. No, he went from town to town, healing people and talking about the good news. And then when he did have an opportunity to stand before the leaders of the country, even to save his own life, he didn't say a word. Paul says, like a sheep before the slaughter, he was silent. He overcame. He overcame. Not by holding on to power, but by giving it up and choosing to become a servant instead of a ruler. Take time to work out the justice of the Lord in your own life. What does it mean? What does it mean to walk in humility before your God, to love justice, to work out kindness before God? Lament the tragedies that you see around you. Allow yourself to lament. Prophesy to the powers of this world. You have a voice. Use your voice. Practice poverty and humility. Lay down your power. Lay down your privilege. Repent before the Lord your God and turn from all oppression. Live a life of worship, focusing on the Lord, and be reconcilers. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Through us. I realize that the challenge is daunting, But friends, we serve a big God. And I would say with Paul that if it were not true that Christ has risen from the dead, then we are all fools because we have no ability to change this world in and of ourselves. But if it is true, and if you do believe that it is true, that Christ has risen from the dead and now is even now still alive, if you do believe that he is active in this world, Recognize that you are the people through whom he is active. You are the visible presence of the invisible God to this world. So watch what you say. Watch what you do. Use your words wisely. Use your actions well. You may not be the president, but you have friends. You have power in your own social circles. What are you doing to learn humility, to walk kind in kindness and to practice justice. What are you doing? Work it out. Work it out.
Lord, come and be with us today. Father, we are so desperately in need of your presence. And I thank you, Lord, because I know that this is how you work. Lord, that even Israel, as it was surrounded, even as Jerusalem was surrounded by armies, and Elijah was, Elisha was standing on the, on the parapet and looking down, and his, his servant said to him, I, I don't know what to do. It looks like this might be the end. Look at the, the hills are full of the enemy. And Elisha said, Lord, would you open his eyes? Because, friends, there are more with us than there are against us. And as the servant's eyes were opened and he saw in the hills the armies of the Lord bearing down on his enemies, even so I say to you, you may look at your life and say, I do not have anything to offer. Lord, I have nothing. I have no influence. I have no ability. I can't speak that loudly or that eloquently. Lord, why is it that you have chosen me? And God would say, would you, would you stick yourself out there because I am with you and greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that even if you had a, the faith of a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed in all of Israel, even if you had just just the smallest amount of faith, yet still, that would be enough faith to move mountains because the Lord is with you. Lord, come, guide, Lord, we pray that you would move among your people. God, forgive us for rejecting the mantle that you have put upon us. Forgive us, Lord, because we've looked at our lives and we've said, we can't do anything for you, so we've rejected the mantle of reconciliation that you've tried to put on us. God, would you forgive us? Would you forgive me, Lord, for holding at arm's length the call to reconciliation? Lord, I receive your calling today. Lord, we receive your spirit today. If you would have us, Lord, here we are. Holy Spirit, come and equip us to do every good work. Lord, come and speak to us. God, give us the feet that are ready with the good news. Gird us up in the full armor of the Lord so that we can go out and do what you've called us to do. And Lord, we may not ever become presidents or, or governors or even city council members, but God, with your spirit beside us, we know that we can conquer all things and that we can do all things. So, Lord, would you come and equip the saints for your work. Holy Spirit, I commit these people to your hands, Lord. Lord, I commit them to your presence. God, only you can see us through this. So we submit ourselves to you, Jesus. Come underneath your power and authority. We submit to you, Lord. Guide us and lead us by the power of your Son, we pray. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen.